We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, I have a question for you guys. How many people can you fit into a one-bedroom apartment? Lots. How <laughs> many? Six to five? Okay. Living in the apartment. 83. That's a big apartment. That's like one of those apartments you see on TV shows, like a penthouse in New York, when they're really not that big in New York. All right. The answer is a lot. A lot more than we think, right? Uh, For me, in my experience, it was nine. The two people whose names were actually on the lease for that one-bedroom apartment, and then my mom and her six children. It was a temporary home for us until we were able to get into our own home, but that temporary home lasted a lot longer during my fifth grade year than I would have wanted it to, and then I shared with my friends that it did. And it was cramped, and it was uncomfortable, and no, there weren't nine beds in there, and so I slept in a corner somewhere on the floor, but it was a home. I had a roof over my head. There was air conditioning when it was hot and a heater when it was cold, and there was a fridge, and there was food, and there was a TV, but my favorite part was there was an outside. There was a a little courtyard area in the apartments, and that's where I would spend most of my time because there was space to move around. So it was a home, even though it was temporary, and it was a holding place for us until we got into our own home. But it, it did the job, right? It kind of it held the space there for us until then. I remember even one time I was going to go see some friends that I had met in the apartment complex. And so I told my mom, hey, I'm going to go be gone for a little while. And she said, what time are you going to be home? And I didn't know how to answer that question. I didn't know how that made me feel because I was like, this isn't home. This isn't our home. This is just temporary, right? But, I mean, how else would she ask the question in the moment, right? At, at that time, that was home for us. There's an author by the name of C.S. Lewis. Some of you might have heard of him. And he wrote a series of books, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the last one, there's this amazing quote I want to share with you. What had happened in the story, the briefest summary I can give you, uh, there's this land, Narnia, and it's this kind of magical land that these kids go through a portal and they find themselves in. Uh, And there's uh, the ruler of that land, Aslan, and he's a lion. And it's really, the story is an allegory, it's an image for something deeper, for a deeper truth. And so he's writing it to give us a window into like the true kingdom. So Aslan is a, a Jesus figure, the king over this land, right? And there was this battle. There was a great evil in Narnia, and there's a battle that took place. And the, long story short, the old Narnia ends up kind of passing away, going away, and there's a new Narnia that's formed. And after they do away with all the evil in the land, this is a, a better Narnia. And there's this character in the book that's a unicorn 
that as it gets into the new Narnia, it has something really cool to say that I want to read to you. This is how this character described the new Narnia. The new Narnia was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia at times is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up. Come further in. Come further up and come further in. I love that invitation. And I think, I, I read that because there's a, there's a call in here, not just how do we understand what does it mean about the law and did Jesus abolish or fulfill it and what does that look like? There's actually, as we dig deeper, there's an invitation here to come home. There's an invitation saying, hey, you've seen something kind of like home, but come further up, come further in it gets so much deeper and better and more beautiful and majestic. That's really what's going on here. But it's it's hard to see that. And so maybe put a pin in that for a second and hopefully my prayers will, will start to see that more clearly. It's hard to see that when we're asking certain questions here, like what does it mean that Jesus did not abolish the law but fulfilled it, right? Or what does it mean when Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, that's the religious leaders of the day, unless it surpasses them, you can't even get into the kingdom of heaven. That seems pretty like harsh, doesn't it? And that's a high bar maybe, it seems like. Like these were the people who were not just following the laws, they were showing and telling the rest of God's people, the rest of the Israelites, this is how you, obey God's laws. And this is how you find your way to God. This is how you become right before him. That's what that word righteousness means, remember? A right standing in relationship. There's a righteousness in relationships amongst one another, right? Fellow humans. But there's a righteousness, a right standing in relationship with God. And both of those things had been lost. Both of those things had been broken and distorted when humanity first rebelled against God in the very beginning of the story in the garden. Both of those things have been fractured and wounded. And the rest of the story of the Bible is trying to get back to that. It's trying to make things right again amongst one another, but also to make things right between us and the one who created us, the one who made us to be in his image. And so the the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, their whole role was aimed at trying to teach God's people, this is how you can best do that. And listen, they weren't just making stuff up either. They were taking it from the law given from God through Moses to his people centuries before. This is what God said, right? Right? This is how we can be right with one another and right with him. Most of the laws, if we look at them, 
we're talking about how do you relate with the community around you? How do you not offend or harm? And how do you care for one another? Righteousness, right relationships. And in doing that, that actually brings you into a right relationship with God who made you and everyone around you. And now Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to even get into my kingdom, you have to have a righteousness that goes far beyond the teachers of righteousness. And this gets even harder to reconcile when we read it in context, right? Like if we're just reading the section we read today and we just stick to today in isolation, it's hard enough. But we remember just two weeks ago that we read, Jesus said things like this, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In verse three, in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus is talking to these people and he's saying, hey, you have the good life because you are poor in spirit. And when you're persecuted for the sake of right relationships, for righteousness sake, you're blessed. You have the good life because the kingdom of heaven is yours. And now he's saying, actually, you can't even get into the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness is better than the people who claim to have the most righteousness. And so what do we do with all that, right? How how do we reconcile these things? And especially when in our context, in our day, let's be honest, we don't often think of righteousness in the context of right relationships with one another. When we hear the word righteousness, we often think of what? Being good and holy, right? Like doing the right things. And that is an aspect of it. Because I can't be in a right relationship with you guys if I'm not treating you right, if I'm not living rightly myself, right? I just said right like five times in my sentence. Like it doesn't work. So that is an aspect of it. Actually, like doing the things God called us to do, obeying law, obeying his commands is part of righteousness, And so in this whole context, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm I'm not here to do away with that. I actually expect you to uphold the law even greater than the Pharisees are expecting you to. And what he's going to do after this, as we'll see in the coming weeks, is he starts going through a list of different laws that were given. And he's saying, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder somebody. Let me make it more difficult. Anytime you're angry with somebody, you know how you think violent thoughts toward them? You would never say that out loud, right? You wouldn't admit it. I, I, that car cut me off. I really wish they'd have a, their tire would blow out right now. I, I hope they get pulled over. Like, right? When we start thinking those thoughts, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, that's actually just as bad. He continues to go on through all of these lists of things. Like he says, adultery, it it begins in the heart. When you just look at somebody and you think those thoughts and he starts making all these things so much more difficult, it seems like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about poor in spirit being this realization of like, I, I don't have what I need in myself, right? I have a poverty in my spirit. And recognizing that and confessing that and then 
you're entered into the kingdom of heaven. But now he's saying, man, you got to be like really, 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 really good. And so what do we do with all that? Now we've talked before about how this whole Sermon on the Mount, it's actually kind of following the pattern of Old Testament stuff, particularly Exodus. When God brings his people out of slavery to Egypt, he rescues them. They didn't have to do anything to save themselves. Then he brings them to this Mount Sinai and he calls Moses to come up. He actually invites all the people. The people say, Moses, you go talk to God because that looks scary, right? There's like thunder and fire and smoke and all kinds of stuff happening on the mountain. They're like, you go talk to God, come back, tell us what he said. We'll do the things he said, but like, don't let him talk to us. And then they don't do the things he said, right? And so God meets with them there and he gives them a law. This is now how you live in the best way possible. You've been slaves for 400 years. For four centuries, you and your ancestors have been slaves to a corrupt kingdom. Let me show you a better way to live where you care for one another, where you're in right relationships, right? And so the law wasn't meant to be this oppressive thing, like here's a list of rules you have to follow. It was meant to give them freedom and blessing. And the people failed at that miserably. Because corruption and selfishness in their own heart was just as bad as the corruption of the nation of Egypt that had ruled over them. So they fail at that, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm now showing you an even better way to live. But there's still this problem of corruption in your heart. And so what's to be done with that? What do we do? And we think about like, is he changing everything completely now? Is he like completely getting rid of it? And I was trying to think of like, how how do we explain this, right? To like, there's kids in the room. And so I immediately thought of video games. And like, you know, when I don't even know if video games play this way anymore, actually. So I'm going to really date myself here because now it's just like open world stuff, like, like Minecraft, right? Fortnite, if any of you guys do that. Like you just go around collecting stuff the whole time. Uh, But video games used to be where you had levels right? So you pass level one and you get to level two and then you get to level three. Now, when you get to level three, levels one and two aren't like they don't matter anymore. What you've done is you've built on top of that and you just leveled up. That's kind of like what's happening here. Like I didn't abolish the law. I'm actually fulfilling it and we're coming into something greater now. Or maybe a better example, especially for those who don't play video games. Uh, When Bethany and I were having our first house built that we lost in the 2008 financial crisis. But anyway, when we were having it built and it was super exciting, we would drive by and we would see the progress of the house. And when they finally got like the studs, the framing put up, it was super exciting. We're like, it looks like a house now, right? It's starting to look like an actual home. This is exciting, But then we would drive by and it still looked like studs. It was still just the framework. It was still sitting there without drywall sheets on it, without uh, anything done on the exterior for a long time. It wasn't really a home. Like that reality started setting in for us. This is not a full house. We can't move in yet. Now, when they start building onto the rest of it, they don't do away with, the framework, do they? 
It, ha- it has to stay there. And then they build on top of it. And I think that's kind of what's happening here is like the things that God gave his people to do, to follow, to be in right relationship with him and one another were good things. And Jesus is saying, I'm not just destroying that. I'm not coming over and just kicking over your Legos right now. Like I'm not, that matters. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, and now also. And, and we see this in scripture. There's, if we can go to, through the slides here, we have in John 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, that out of the fullness of God, we have all received grace in place of grace. It's talking about right before this, is speaking of the law that came through Moses, right? And so it calls that grace a gift. That's what that word means. A gift from God was the law, right? Not a burden. But he's saying now we've received grace in place of grace. There's a a greater grace that's coming. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Another way this is said in our next passage here in Colossians 2, verse 17, uh, speaking of the laws, it says, these were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Like when you're standing at the corner of a building and you see a shadow peering out on the sidewalk through the other side there, you know there's someone standing on the other side. It's real and it's there, but it's pointing to the reality of something else, right? This was a shadow. It was pointing us to that. This is said elsewhere too, if we keep going in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's saying, listen, this was a thing set up that's good, it's true, it's real, but it was pointing to the fullness of it to come. Jesus did not come to do away with all that. He said, I'm the fulfillment of that. I'm actually making it happen. Now here's Here's where the key to all this is. How do we get righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees and the scribes? How do, how do we get righteousness that goes beyond what the law even said? And Jesus said it himself, right in what we read in Matthew 5, he fulfills it. He makes it full. If we continue in Hebrews 10, if we jump down real quick to verse 9, uh, it starts speaking of Jesus as he's coming and he's saying, God, I will do your will with this law. And it says this, it says, as he says, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that's the law, to establish the second. And by that will, Jesus's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus fulfills everything the law demands. Paul said it this way in Romans 4, verses 22 through 24. He says, this is, he's speaking of Abraham and how Abraham, uh, it was credited to him as righteousness is what it says in Genesis when he trusted God. Now, Abraham was a mess of a man, you guys. Just like all of us in here, he made a lot of selfish mistakes, right? But scripture says righteousness was credited to him. It was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. 
for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So how can you get into the kingdom of heaven? It's the same thing Jesus said earlier in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize I cannot obey the law perfectly. I cannot, even when I do the right things on the outside, like Pharisees, who Jesus later calls whitewashed tombs, looks good on the outside, but there's something dead and decaying inside because our hearts, as Jesus is gonna go on in the rest of chapter five to show us, our hearts still have the same root of wickedness inside. And when we recognize that and we are honest about that and we come to Jesus for that, he fulfills the requirements of the law. He fulfills everything necessary and credits his righteousness to us so that now we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the message has not changed after all. Jesus is consistent with what he's saying. He's been saying the same thing all along if we would have ears to hear and listen. Jesus is inviting us further in and further up to come and experience what life in the kingdom is like when he's king, not ourselves. When his righteousness reigns, not our own. And at the same time, there's something even deeper happening here. Because righteousness is not just about following the law. And in fact, when Jesus said, hey, don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets, they wouldn't have necessarily just thought of the 613 laws given to them through Moses. They wouldn't have just thought of these prophets who were telling them, hey, you need to repent and turn back to these laws. The law and the prophets were the way that they referred to their holy text, the scriptures. They didn't call it the Bible, right? They had a bunch of different scrolls and and they called those things together. Sometimes they referred to as the law and the prophets. Sometimes it might've been called Moses and the prophets, but what it was, was the word of God given to them. It was their story. It was the narrative of God who created all things and made it really good and called humans to partner with him in it, yet they rebelled against him. And the story of God pursuing them, pursuing his good creation and his humans to bring them back into right relationship with him. A God relentlessly pursuing to restore relationship and righteousness throughout all of creation. This is what would have come to mind actually for his hearers here when they heard the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, I'm not changing the script on you. I'm not coming here to do a whole new thing. All of this story has been pointing to Jesus the entire time. All of this story has been getting you ready like a shadow. You go, oh, there's somebody there. It's been leading you to me. And remember, Jesus is saying this not to a bunch of religious people right now. He's not saying it to the religious leaders. He's not saying it to his 12 disciples. He hadn't even called all of them yet in Matthew's timeline of this story, right? He's saying it to a crowd of people who he had just healed from diseases, from leprosy, from sicknesses that were killing them, from being paralyzed, from being possessed by demons, a people who were outcasts from their community. They were assumed to be sinners and that's why God was allowing them to be inflicted with these things. Jesus heals them. They follow him up this mountain and he starts saying to them, now listen, 
I just called you guys salt of the earth, light of the world. I, I told you that you get to come into the kingdom of heaven. I don't want you to think that I'm changing the story. Because they were under this impression that like, no, no, we have to follow the laws and do what the Pharisees tell us. And Jesus is going, yes. Those laws are still good. They were meant to be. This is how a community thrives. What I'm telling you is you can't do that without me. Jesus is saying, I'm not changing that. But you now, you who have been in sin, you who have been afflicted, you who have experienced brokenness to a degree maybe beyond many others, you can actually have a righteousness that exceeds those who obey all the laws perfectly on the outside alone through your relationship and right standing with me, Jesus says. And that's the invitation to come further up, further in. To get beyond if I follow the rules the right way, right? Jesus is not saying this to the people who were afflicted and healed and did not follow him up the mountain. And he's not saying it to the people who were following all the laws and their own strength and felt like they didn't need to follow Jesus up the mountain. He's saying it to the people who knew, I am in desperate need of this man here. He's the one who has life. How do I follow him and get, get life through him? And he says, you, those of you who say that, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world you get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And not only enter in, but you get to share it with the world around you. How much better life is with Jesus? How much better life is in the kingdom? And I know we still see brokenness around us. We still see things that don't seem right. We still see the dullness of this world right now because it's marred by sin. But when we are in communion with Jesus, we actually experience those things in a little bit of a deeper way. We actually get to see the goodness of God's creation sprouting up in the midst of brokenness. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, don't you want to just share that with people? I don't know about you guys, I'm a big foodie. And when I eat like a really good sandwich somewhere, I'm like, you guys got to try this. You know, when I have a really good burrito, I'm like, man, I'm bringing some friends back here. Like, don't we want to do that with the kingdom? Life is better here. Not here in this building. Here with Jesus. Here in his presence. Here with the king in our midst. And this ragtag group of people who followed him up this mountain, who were ostracized and cast away from society before, they are going to be mobilized now to be a people who go out and share the good news of the kingdom of Jesus with others and invite them into. And it's going to get crazy. It's a wild story. And now we're invited into it. We get to be part of that story too, because we've been invited in. So my prayer is we go from this place and we share the good news of the kingdom that all are welcoming because Jesus has fulfilled what it takes to be there. Amen.